should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. It is, uh, it's the week after, I should say a few days after, um, you know, the tax deadline, hopefully <laughs> you've got a whole load of pressure off your shoulders or um, or at least drink away your sorrows if you've had to pay back lots of money or if you're. Yeah, it, 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 it depends on how you look at it. I mean, for me, it's it's what we're supposed to do. That's uh, that's how the uh, the country. <laughs> that's how the country runs. Um, anyway, welcome to the program. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. This show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Uh, I want to bring up my young nephew here, Kenny, who is now producing the show or helping me produce. Um, you know, Kenny, one of the reasons why I thought it was so awesome that you have decided to step up to the plate and take this role is that I wanted you to be open to the world and uh, the issues that we face and just kind of the topics that we talk about here on the show. So, it's not a test and don't feel bad, but do you know about the uh, handful of states that are uh, trying to pr uh, pass anti-LGBT bills? And I, I guess specifically in North Carolina. Yeah, uh, I'm aware of that one, but not any other states. Uh, I still need to do a little research and all that. Well, as long as you're aware that it's happening, that's the important piece that I wanted to ask about. Now, you know, um, since North Carolina had passed their anti-LGBTQ bill, uh, there's been a, a, a whole lot of businesses who've threatened to take their money away or not do business in North Carolina. And so just today, the Tourism uh, uh, Conventions Bureau in Raleigh, North Carolina, said that they have lost about $3 million so far in cancellations that has been prompted by the protests of North Carolina. North Carolina's law on LGBT rights. And, you know, most of us may be sitting here um, thinking that is an amazing and amazing thing, but I can't help but question, okay, well, what's the, what's the consequences of this, you know, in losing money to a state like North Carolina because of a bill or are we doing the right thing here? Well, let's talk about it. That's what today's show is all about. Our next guest is a senior fellow from the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a public policy research organization, and they're dedicated to the principles of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. And so let's welcome Walter Ols Olson to the program. Walter, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about HB2, North Carolina's anti-LGBTQ bill. I mean, uh, the media, especially a, a lot of, um, 
you know, smaller media organizations are dubbing the HB2 as the uh, anti-transgender bathroom bill. But there's so much more uh, to this bill that I think that we should definitely cover that it's not just, you know, preventing transgender people from accessing the, the bathrooms. Can you help us from a legal perspective break down HB2 and how discriminating it is, uh, especially to the LGBTQ community? Well, you're right that it's got uh, a number of different provisions which are not directly related to each other, and that uh, the most uh, uh, widely talked of one, of course, is about uh, bathrooms and changing areas and uh, creates a new rule that uh, you can't go in one unless you have a birth certificate to show that matches it. Uh, But uh, the law at the same time uh, it's a reaction to, uh, in, in many ways, what the city of Charlotte did. And Charlotte, um, after much debate, uh, added uh, LGBT as a category in its municipal anti-discrimination law. And this prompted a wider debate in North Carolina about, um, uh, you know, should something be done to keep Charlotte from doing that? And uh, in the course of the um, uh, attempt to to reverse that, they uh, not only reversed that Charlotte ordinance, but also went further, uh, saying that in general, uh, the uh, cities of North Carolina uh, should not go beyond uh, state uh, levels of anti-discrimination law, and that wound up affecting some other groups, veterans and others uh, uh, besides uh, LGBT, that they... um, basically should not uh, uh, be extending discrimination law beyond what the state has done. And let's get technical, but lawyers know that this is important because of the uh, issue of of so-called choice of forms. Uh, Let's say that you've got a dispute in your workplace or somewhere else. Um, There is often a choice of, do you make it a federal case, in which case you can get certain types of court action, do you make it a state case, or in cities where there is an additional city ordinance, uh, do you make it a city case? And uh, as we know, the federal coverage is uh, still in a gray area where the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission believes that it um, has a reasonable re- uh, reinterpretation of, of the existing law uh, to create it, but and that has not passed. Um, uh, there is, of course, no state law in uh, North, North Carolina for LGBT, but there is for some of these other areas. And um, from the standpoint of the lawyer for the person trying to fill out a complaint, the more options, the better. Uh, the, the, you know, sometimes more uh, rapid relief is available uh, uh, by going to one court than another. Sometimes more money is available. Sometimes different kinds of evidence are available. And so the Distinguishing of a um, uh, local set of remedies uh, is felt as a setback, even when um, the same things can be sued over at the state level. And, of course, in this case, uh, since North Carolina has no anti-discrimination law uh, covering LGBT, it's simply a disappearance of what would have been uh, a legal remedy in, uh, in, in that one city. Mm-hmm. You know, from a uh, plain person's, <laughs> everyday citizen's 
um, perspective, especially if you don't live in North Carolina. This sounds incredibly messy, especially, you know, when you have big companies like Apple, Salesforce, or I should say, you know, PayPal, um, who say things like they will not uh, do business in a state like North Carolina now because of the the bill. I mean, when you look at it from that perspective, it, even if these companies did bring their business to the state and then you had a case of workplace discrimination, it just sounds like between the local government, you know, the city versus the state versus uh, the federal government, I, I feel like passing a bill like this has just made it even messier. Um, is that a, a, you know, a, a pretty accurate well, assessment? There's something very fascinating and unprecedented going on here, and North Carolina is not the first time that we've seen it. As you mentioned um, uh, a few minutes ago, you've also seen it in uh, other states mm -hmm. that have passed not exactly the same bill, sometimes bills with different provisions that are seen as uh, expressing hostility to uh, LGBT interests. And uh, you've seen the same uh, corporate boycott activity, the same... Um, you know, CEOs, um, and not just from some of the tech companies. In in a way, people are not so surprised to see it from Apple, which has a gay CEO, and which uh, uh, you know is is um, definitely at one end of the spectrum as far as uh, perceived progressiveness in business. But uh, Dow Chemical, now you know, would you have asked, <laughs> would you have guessed that Dow Chemical right. uh, was was saying some of the same things? But and yet. It's not, uh, you know, and, and also sports companies, you know, they, uh, or, or sports leagues, um, uh, as well as entertainment. And that's uh, one of the things that makes this area of social ferment so fascinating is that it's not just some of what you might call the usual suspects, uh, Bay Area or New York, uh, uh, you know, highly technical, uh, highly Internet-based companies. Uh, and we'll get in a minute to why they might be interested, especially in fostering a different kind of workplace environment, places where they intend to do business. But it's also much more considerable, um, often with a scientific bent, because I think that ties in with it. Um, and if you ask the people of these companies um, why they've suddenly been so active, very often it gets back to the issue of uh, their own workplace and their feeling that um, in the modern economy, especially if you are in an industry uh, like Silicon Valley, like entertainment or sports, like um, a highly scientific business, um, your future depends on being able to get uh, it, the most talented people from around the country and indeed around the world to consider coming and working for you. And that means that these companies compete with each other at an HR level uh, and in recruitment and increasingly compete with each other in, in what you might call policy signaling, saying, we welcome all talent. Uh, we are not uh, a small-town culture, if you want to call it that, and that may be unfair to small towns, uh, in which uh, if you aren't like uh, the, your, your boss, you will feel excluded or different. Um, if you've got the talent, we want you to come work for us. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a powerful message to send. Um, uh, and uh, to these companies, and again, I, I think we need to step back and, and realize that in general, companies don't do these things just because some angel flew down onto their shoulder and tapped them with a wand. You know, <laughs> they, they, they do it because they see profit in it. And what's fascinating is that uh, you know the predictions of oh well, business in search of profit will you know be, be uh, you know a roadblock to social progress. It doesn't always work that way. 
indeed, you often see uh, large uh, businesses that compete for talent uh, kind of going out of their way to make um, so, social progress in some other areas, too, you know, often in being family-friendly or often in being adoption-friendly. or A lot of different areas where the pioneering steps are often in the companies that are um, uh, pressed to compete for the best talent and realize that adding that benefit, you know, adding adoption leave, let's say, um, is that way of signaling, uh, don't go to work for that other bank, come to work for us instead. Mm-hmm. What about, you know, I think you mentioned this on your blog, but um, I kind of had this question, but I didn't want to be the, you know, I I didn't want to sound like the ignorant fool on on social media or something. But (laughs) when like the mayor of San Francisco uh, or Los Angeles says, you know, we're banning travel to North Carolina, um, what do they actually mean? And does it even does it even impact or what's what is the impact when you're banning city travel or government? Uh, official business travel to a state like North Carolina? Well, this has gone on a lot, and this is an area where I, um, I, I cited on my blog a, um, uh, what I thought was a very good piece by a professor at, at Lewis and Clark in, in Portland saying, uh, uh, you know, hold on a minute here. You know, businesses can make their own decisions, uh, but when it comes to government they need to be careful about boycotting each other. Uh, you know, the old principle that uh, they, they call comedy, which is the, the states don't have to like each other, but they do have to get along with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, um, these things are often much more hot and puff than they are um, uh, actual um, uh, in, impacts. Some governments can get away with a lot more because if you are California, let's say, or New York, um, you're sending your people all over the country. No one can very effectively work out a state like California because it's just got so many conferences and things going on. My favorite comment, I haven't had a chance to post it yet, because I just got to my office, but uh, the person said, yeah, my... Uh, city was boycotting Arizona, and they found that there was only one company they dealt with in Arizona, and that was the one that did the red light traffic cameras in so much revenue for the city. So they put in an exception so they wouldn't have to boycott the, the revenue from the red light cameras. And that, that's, um, that's the kind of posturing that you often see. And I, I also warn people, you know, this business of state and municipal boycotts um, is easy to cheer on when it's our guys using it. Uh, you know, think very carefully because, um, uh, you know, there are going to be efforts to, to make it work in reverse, too, against um, uh, the, the, the more, uh, uh, you know, liberal jurisdictions. And I just think, um, you know, it, it, as, as that professor put it, it's one thing for business to um, uh, make its feelings known because you don't have to do business with, uh, I mean, you don't have to have a PayPal office there if, if, or a Deutsche Bank office. But, um, but New York does have to get along with Mississippi on some level. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Walter, we're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue our conversation. I especially want your thoughts on uh, just uh, how much is the state imposing on local government and, and, you know, coming from an organization like Cato Institute, be great to get your perspective. So stay with us, okay? The Michelle Miel Show continues right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, 
I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on the program today. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our special guest on the phone is Walter Cato. He is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Um, did I say Walter Cato? I think I said Walter Olson. It's like a couple days after, you know, tax day. Walter, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Um, so, you know, right before the break, I, I, uh, I wanted to bring up, the, you know, the point in which um, we discuss uh, government and, you know, from the federal, the state, the local, and how overreaching um, sometimes this, this might feel. I mean, we've heard this argument before. During marriage equality, in which some, you know, uh, even presidential candidates today had said that it should be a, a state's decision whether there should be marriage equality or not. Um, and, uh, you know, in, 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 what are your thoughts re regarding this specific situation now that we have marriage equality from a federal and a statewide level? Um, the, the, the whole argument of religious freedom and using bills like this to uh, to. I guess, <laughs> to take or strip well, rights away. Where, where, where the Constitution is involved, and, and you know, my colleagues at the Cato Institute uh, filed uh, amicus briefs uh, in Windsor and other cases uh, for equal protection um, uh, as, as a reason to recognize uh, uh, 50-state gay marriage. But, but often um, you're dealing with practical issues which are not necessarily covered in the Constitution. Uh, and there... Uh, we really do benefit from our federalist tradition, um, uh, both state to state, and, and you know, we have different parts of the country, they run differently, and uh, that's one reason we stay together as a country, despite the enormous cultural differences between some parts, and that also happens within a state, and I argued, I had a uh, letter to the editor in the Wall Street Journal today, that uh, 
of the many reasons why North Carolina did the wrong thing by uh, passing those bathroom provisions. Um, one of them was the good old conservative rule that if uh, it doesn't seem to be broken, you shouldn't fix it. And there didn't seem to be any complaints, particularly of, of things having gone wrong with uh, uh, LGBT people using bathrooms. They were acting on kind of scares from out of state about, you know, well, what would happen if you don't pass a law. But secondly, um, what have been the uh, choices by which public bathrooms in public buildings, uh, you know, whether they be courthouses or local schools or community colleges or universities, uh, well, you know, the, the building manager at the courthouse or whatever it is uh, has been in charge of it. Does anything go wrong with the bathroom? And if something goes wrong, then, you know, intervene if two people are arguing. Or, and, um, and that is the um, kind of local uh, 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 discretion that allows for the differences between uh, different communities uh, to make themselves felt. So instead, you have the religious conservatives who've come in and prescribed a single rule that uh, every community in North Carolina and every building uh, has to do. I think it's an impractical rule. I think it's one that is uh, does not take into account that there are transgender people who don't happen mm-hmm. to have copies of their birth certificate to whip out of their purse. Right. Uh, but but the but even aside from the fact that the content uh, is is bad, um, you know, it's so unconservative to take a system that had been working well by people just uh, uh, you know the, um, you know run, running their own buildings and uh, say no 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 everyone uh, now has to have uh, uh, you know has to call lawyers and 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 has to begin treating people differently than they've treated them. You know, you you may have someone who's uh, been working for you for 25 years and, you know, doesn't happen to have, uh, you know, her birth certificate because uh, she hasn't gone through the uh, legalities. And, all, you know, it's how unconservative can you get to take something where everyone's getting along with each other and make it so they can't get along with each other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, and I know that you... Uh mentioned this before we went on the break, um, and that is the big question of the impact of all of this in terms of these big businesses now becoming, you know, corporate activists, if you will. Um, the, yeah. It, you know, do you think that uh, it will have a positive uh, outcome? I mean, now that they have threatened to, to protest the state and all that stuff, I mean, that's the big question. What happens next? It's so hard for me to tell what's up, what will happen next because it was so hard to predict that it, things would develop so so fast um, uh, in in this direction. And people talk about um, what could be next steps. I mean, one obvious one that people ask about from a variety of different standpoints is: uh, Is this going to help uh, employees in other countries with these same organizations? Because sometimes they're in very difficult situations in countries that are very unfriendly, uh, uh, you know, and it would help. A lot, I think, if some of these companies spoke out in uh, tougher parts of the world. But beyond that, um, will there be a backlash? Will these states say, well, um, you know, these companies are unfair to us, companies stay out of politics or stay out of policy or whatever you want to say, uh, you know, we, we will punish the company, you know, we'll withdraw our investments in their country funds or, or whatever the thing is. Um, you know, I'm waiting to see how the religious conservative side um, responds. They have a, a, a record of kind of not being very effective and, and using weapons that misfire, but I'm, still, I, I'm not really sure how they're going to react and, 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 and waiting for that. Um, uh, you know, other people say, well, um, uh, with this extraordinary um, uh, willingness to, to step up to the plate on LGBT issues, uh, you know, 
will you see that on other minority or discrimination issues? It's just very hard for me to guess. Same here. Um, <laughs> the whole situation, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of confusing to a lot of people, and that's the reason why we had you on the show. We've got a few minutes left, and so I kind of want to wrap on um, just touching on, you know, like I said, it, it, yeah, we're focusing on HB2 North Carolina, but there are a few other states, um, and uh, there are uh, in a few other states like Tennessee, the same thing is kind of happening. Big corporations, um, even musicians and entertainers are threatening to boycott and ban. I wanted to get your thoughts on the overall approach. Uh, you know, this country has definitely, um, it's not a stranger to this whole uh, way of activism, boycotting and banning uh, businesses. And we've used it to our advantage and, uh, and to our disadvantage. Do you think that, you know, in 2016, it is as effective as it once was, you know, um, especially in the 60s and the 70s? It's hard to say. It's, a lot of tactics are effective uh, for their surprise value the first time and less effective after people get used to them. And uh, they're also very um, uh, different from, from place to place. And uh, you mentioned Tennessee, which of course is particularly dependent on the music business in a way that very few states are. Uh, North Carolina um, is particularly ambitious in, in the area of science um, because it's got a so much research uh, going on in, in North Carolina. Mississippi, um, not so dependent on either of those and maybe more resistant. But uh, I think you will find, you know, some people in the middle, uh, and I see that even a little of this in, in North Carolina stepping forward, saying, uh, look, we can't go on um, uh, with as much misunderstanding and antagonism as this. Let's see whether there is a way to uh, make the uh, uh, at least more moderate people on both sides satisfied. And so there are efforts to come back and say, uh, are there uh, changes to the North Carolina law that would work, or are there um, uh, you know car carve-outs of some way? I'm looking at those with interest because I think you know we're we're not going to still be fighting these wars uh, ten years from now. We'll be fighting different wars, and in the meantime, um, you know I'd like to find something that um, you know saves face for those who wind up losing, and keeps the forward march for those who are uh, you know ask, asking for the right uh, kinds of progress. And then you know my uh, last question is just pointing out. Um Religious freedom, and we, we brought that up a few times, and we're talking about it as if it, it doesn't exist today, as, as if people are not free to practice uh, whatever religion that they want to, but yet it, it keeps popping up, uh, especially in the states that want to pass these bills that discriminate against LGBTQ people. Um, you know, from a legal perspective and being a senior fellow from Cato Institute, this whole argument about religious freedom, what are your thoughts? I mean, is it is it like, you know, arguing something that, uh, that doesn't exist? It's, it's a big, complicated issue. And the um, where the general public, uh, I think, comes down uh, when, when asked in polls is that discrimination law uh, should have fairly narrow exceptions uh, for certainly churches themselves. Um, uh, you know, I think the public is generally on the side of uh, churches that do not want to ordain both sexes as priests, for example, um, even though in, in, in one sense that's an employment discrimination case. I think the public is generally 
on the side of religious colleges that say, you know, we'd like to limit um, enrollment to, um, uh, you know, only those who follow our religious tenets, because otherwise we're not going to have a Buddhist or we're not going to have a, uh, you know, Pentecostal college at all, or, or, or you know, if, if they uh, apply their rules uh, consistently. But the public generally, and again, this is not specifically a libertarian view, but it is, does seem to be the view that's reflected in public opinion, uh, draws a line between commerce, which is most of it, and religion, which is you know, one slice of it, and says, okay, you know, defend religion and, and do things differently there, mm-hmm. but most commerce is not religion. Right. Walter, thank you so much for being here with us on the program today and for uh, walking us through HB2 and just kind of what this means, especially from your point of view. Um, and we hope to have you on again. Thank you. Walter Olson, everyone, if you want to follow his work or uh, support the Cato Institute, you can do that by heading to Cato.org. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We'll continue our conversation about North Carolina and uh, HB2, as well as their anti-LGBTQ bills with our next guest. And uh, you won't believe this, but he actually um, (laughs) has been appointed to a position uh, of legislation in uh, North Carolina. So don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Progressive Voices. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, Everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time. Uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a uh, pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner, his name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them, we drove to Lake Tahoe, and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement, presented by Wells Fargo. 
Together, we'll go far. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. It's Monday, December 22nd. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. We can be proud of the LGBT older adults like BJ Styles, a story that we just told right before the break, who have given us the freedom and pride we feel today. It's not too much to say that there are extended or our chosen family, but are also our LGBT pioneers. We owe them so much. They were at the forefront of our founding LGBT rights movements. Unfortunately, many of our LGBT seniors are aging in isolation and most without children or other biolo- or their biological children. So that's the reason why we're doing this right now, partnering with Open House. Open House is located here in San Francisco and provides resources to LGBTQI seniors. So please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Open House right now by visiting openhouse-sf.org. Our next guest to, to tell us her entire life story, which I think is going to be incredible and uh, profound, is Sonny Zambino. Sonny, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michelle. My, my, Thank you my, so much for agreeing to do this and uh, and participate with us. And uh, I was joking around in which I said, you're going to tell us your entire life story. Are you up for it? <laughs> Well, we'll see if we can cram it in here. All right. So, uh, go ahead. My name is pronounced Sonny, S-O-N-N-I. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for the corrections. Sure. Sonny, right? Right. All right, Sonny. So, let's start with uh, your childhood. I'd like to start there, as I think childhood memories are are so (laughs) interesting. They can be incredible. They can be sad. (laughs) But they tell so much about you. So, where did you grow up? Well, uh, we go back 63 years. I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania called Grove City. It's a small liberal arts college there, um, aligned with the Presbyterian Church. Um, and at that time, when I was born in 1952, there was a diesel manufacturing uh, plant there called the Cooper Bessemer Corporation. So the town of 10,000 had not only a lot of churches, but um, a lot of white-collar and, and blue-collar people. So it was, uh, it was quite a nice town to grow up in. I always say that the best college education I had was the high school education in my, at my public school, just for first-rate uh, teachers. Hmm. What was family-like life? Uh, are you, do you have any siblings? Um, I... I do, but that's an, that's another whole story. I, my my uh, sister, who I've been looking for for forty two years, I just found about a year and a half ago. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. Wow. So, so like I said, that's a that's a whole that's a whole another story. Okay, we'll try to navigate this as easy as possible. I mean, we have yeah. half, an, half an hour, and uh, I feel like I'm sitting around. Um, you know, a holiday table with some hot chocolate and and listening yeah, right. to you. Yes. Uh-huh. So so right. so talk to us about you know. Um, I don't I don't I don't like to ask like when you knew you were gay because I kind of feel like as as gay people or queer people, we always kind of knew. It's just a matter of when we articulated it. But uh, what do you think? Well, I I knew from an early age uh, I was. Uh, looking at some photos when my uh, sister was here visiting in October that um, there was a 
photo of me at probably four years old with a little blue jeans on and a blue jean jacket and uh, guns and a cowboy hat. So, <laughs> 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 I uh, my mother, you know, insisted I have long hair and I hated it and I hated, you know, dressing up for Easter and Christmas and all the holidays where you're paraded around in front of the of the friends and family. So I knew from a pretty early age that. Um, I really, you know, the boys had more fun. There was just something about the mm-hmm. girly things. I just wasn't, uh, it just doesn't, didn't do anything for me, you know. So when my friends were getting Barbie dolls, you know, I got a Zippy the monkey, uh, <laughs> which, was, uh, which was a stuffed animal that my, my kindergarten teacher had. Um, so that was kind of my, my early childhood was... Um, you know, in a in a neighborhood growing up with just lots of kids my age and everyone played together and we rode bikes and, you know, roller skates that had the steel wheels and you had a key. Did you and, ever uh, uh, did you ever get bullied or get into fights or neighborhood fights and things like that? Well I did get uh, bullied because I was uh you know, I was a chubby kid, so um, um I was bullied that way. Uh, once I got into high school, I had lost weight. Uh, so I was, I, I knew that there was something different about me, but I did date uh, in high school. And it wasn't until I went to college and uh, actually was the accompanist for a local production of Cabaret where I met some gay men. I, you know, the town I grew up in was really quite... Uh, Closeted. I didn't know any gay people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until I went to college. I thought maybe I had met a couple, but they were were gay men when I was, you know, when I was growing up. So when I got to college, I met some gay men who took me to my first gay bar. And I was just talk, telling the story the other night to Marcy Edelman, the founder of Open House, that um, as soon as I walked in the place, I just felt completely at home. Even though you had to bring a buzzer to get in, and there was, you know, some goon standing there at the door checking ID, and it was owned by, by the mafia. Um, it was, I just felt just completely at home there. And, and so, you know, at, at home, because you're with uh, gay men, were there any women there? I mean, did they, there, did they also go to gay bars? Many. There weren't yeah. many. Um, there were. Uh, you know, on their their busiest nights, which was Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, there were there was a drag show every Wednesday and Sunday. So a lot of people came out for these shows, um, and that was um, that was my hangout for the next uh, two or three years. So I did get to meet some of the women in the community. I was the only one attending the university at the time that was going to this this particular particular bar, so uh, it was hard for me to uh, meet meet women. Those women who I did meet were already in a in a clique, so to speak, so it was kind of hard to break into that, and they were all on different schedules than I was, so it made it difficult to, um, to hang with them, if <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. When did you have your first experience with uh, a woman? It was uh, it was late 
1970, it was December of 1971, and uh, it was with the older sister of a, of a woman I graduated high school with. So um, she had gone to, she was two years, she is two years older than I am. I'm assuming she's still, she's still around. Um, and uh, her sister, who I hung around with in high school, uh, had told her older sister that I was be- I had been seen at gay bars. Mm. And so uh, Jackie one one day uh, came up to me at Christmas time, and she said, uh, "I'm here. I hear that you're gay." And I said, "Well, <laughs> I don't know." <laughs> yeah. I, I, she said, "Well, I hear you. You know, you've been hanging out with these people." And I said, "Well, yes, I have, but I haven't had a relationship yet." Well, she took my hand. And said, what are you doing tomorrow morning? Which was a Sunday. And I said, nothing. And she said, pick me up. I want to take you to Butler, Pennsylvania. It's about 20 miles away. So I picked her up. We drove to, to Butler. And she introduced me to a woman who uh, taught uh, uh, I don't know, business accounting at a community college in, in Butler. And... Uh, the two of them took turns dance slow dancing with me. Wow! <laughs> While we had brunch, and by the time we left there, um, I I knew I was a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> it felt great, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Sonny Zambino, who's telling us her story um, and sharing with us during this holiday season. We're doing a special program with Open House in which we're sharing stories from LGBTQI seniors. And, and part of it, you know, part of it is, is education and exposure and making sure that we don't forget um, those of us who are, are pioneers, but also expose, you know, the issues that LGBTQI seniors face um, in hopes that we'll all come together to support our future. Um, Sonny, so you're getting to the juicy part here in which, you know, you left that dance <laughs> knowing you're a lesbian. My guess is that you did establish a relationship with, with one of them or, or both of them. <laughs> yes, uh, yes uh, with, the, with, the older, with the older sister, uh, but, but not the woman who was, uh, uh, who was the uh, professor at the, at the local community college. Mm-hmm. In fact, I never saw her again. Uh, so, uh, Jackie and I had, uh, because we lived in uh, different towns, we didn't see each other very often. As I look back on it, it was, um, you know, it was it was the, I guess if it for for a first encounter to be bad or good, I would have to say it was good. But I, you know, I fell too I fell too hard for her, even though I knew. Um, she also had this side that, um, uh, where she had men in her life and men that weren't good for her. So, um, you know, after a year or so, we just didn't, we didn't see each other anymore. And I did meet, uh, more people where I was going, uh, to college and, and I, uh, a group of us, uh, finally there were, 
three or four other people at the university that, you know, we all saw each other at the bar one night and said, let's meet outside of the bar. So we did, and and at that time, uh, John Lindsay was the mayor of New York City, and he had, he had appointed a, a Dr. Howard Brown to be head of the health department in New York. And Howard was the first openly gay man, gay person, uh, to be to be part of a large uh, city. Um, and he was, uh, you know, the administration, the large city administration. So um, he became kind of the poster guy for the gay liberation fronts mm-hmm. in the country. And um, me and a small group of people, we used, to, we used to drive to Kent State, which was about an hour and a half away, to the gay liberation front meetings. Um, and um, we decided we were going to start a gay liberation front at Youngstown State University. This was in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, I was in, uh, they have a music school there, so I was piano performance major. So, um, so Howard Brown was making, um, you know, the rounds of, of these gay liberation fronts in the, in the Northeast. So we were able to, um, not only get him to come to Youngstown, Youngstown, but we also managed to have a TV station cover it. So it was the first time that anything uh, gay or lesbian, and I say gay or lesbian because we weren't known as LGBT back then. Right. It was right. the first time that there had been any positive exposure gays and lesbians, you know, on the local television. So it was really a, a big deal. Um, so in that corner of Northeast Ohio, there were, in almost every town, you could find a small a small gay bar. Now, some of them weren't. Um, there was one particular one in Akron called Mothers. And the guy that owned the place just didn't like having women there, you know, and and um, it was really a gay men's um, bar. Green Day was really yeah. a gay, was really a, it was a it was a gay men's atmosphere everywhere that you went. Um, there it wasn't until um, I went to school at uh, Carnegie Mellon for a while that you know I, there was a large women's only bar there, which is known as the as the twelve oh nine. So. <laughs> if you saw someone and thought they were a lesbian, you would say to them, "Does twelve oh nine mean anything to you?" <laughs> wow! Wow! I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pause right here. We're going to take a quick short break, but when we come back, okay. we'll continue our discussion, and you'll tell more stories of your life when we come back. Don't go away. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. 
for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at CommonwealthClub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Meow. You're listening to the Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy holidays. I guess I should say uh, specifically Merry Christmas to those who are celebrating in a few days here, a couple days. Uh, we are are producing a special series here right before uh, New Year's, and, and we're airing uh, interviews with LGBTQI seniors as a partnership with Open House. Open House is a nonprofit organization right here in San Francisco that provides resources to the LGBTQI uh, community, the senior community. And so for me... You know, we should we should not forget that the that during the holidays, not all of us have families to go to or uh, company parties to attend. And LGBT seniors uh, oftentimes are aging in isolation. And so hopefully these stories will empower you to do more than just uh, think about aging, but but be active in supporting the senior community so that we'll have a brighter future. Our guest today is Sonny Zambino, and we're talking about her life, and she's taking me into a journey. Um, <laughs> uh, Sonny, I'd love to turn our attention in the second half of our interview uh, to when you got to San Francisco. What year was that? Oh, that was, uh, that was 1976. Um, I, had, uh, I had been a, uh, an apprentice, a stage technician on a summer stock circuit um, in... Um, in Ohio and Michigan in the summer of 1976. So um, this was a, I don't know if you're familiar with what summer stock is, but uh, back then it was um, great theaters in large cities like you know, 
Akron, Ohio, Pittsburgh, uh, Flint, Michigan, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, during the summer, there would be stars who would uh, sign up for plays or do their acts. Uh, so I, just for instance, I spent a week with Joan Rivers and uh, heard she was doing her act with uh, Peter Marshall, who sang, and uh, Ricardo Maltabon and uh, Carol, Carol Lawrence, uh, Harvey Corman. I mean, there were just uh, people in and out of the theater uh, for, I think it was eight weeks. So um, there were, I think, eight of us uh, who were apprentice stage technicians, so we learned how to build complete uh, traveling sets, uh, even from, you know, starting with building the flats and stretching stretching the, the muslin over the frame. So um, the man who was the set designer also produced uh, Theater for Children here in California. So we, he asked me to uh, come to California and be the, uh, his, the musical director for his... Uh, uh, for the theater company, so it was uh, Circle Star Theater, and it was in San Carlos. On the weekends, they had theater for, for children, and he, he and his partner, Jeffrey, uh, were the producers. So that's what brought me to California. I was paid $150 a week. Wow. In 1976, um, and uh, lived in Redwood City. At the end of the first season... Uh, he couldn't afford to produce any musicals the next season. It, it was a union house. Um, and so I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but I uh, met a woman who was an officer in the Navy. So uh, I got into a relationship with her, and she got had orders uh, to be sent to Hawaii, and she said, do you want to come with me? So I went to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Um, stayed for nine months. I came back. I kind of got island fever. And, um, gosh, I was only back a few months when I was at a bar in San Francisco called Scott's, which was um, right at the DuBose Triangle. It was somebody's garage, actually. And uh, on the bathroom door was one of these tear-off sheets, and, it said, do you play a musical instrument? Were you in marching band in high school or chorus? And so I'm putting together a, a, a gay and lesbian marching band. And so I tore off the number. And so I went to the very first meeting of the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day, gay Freedom Day Marching Band and Twirling Corps. Uh, so I was, a charter, I was a charter member of the band, and... Uh, I played French horn and uh, John Sims, who founded all what we know as the uh, gay lag, gay and uh, lesbian musical associations, uh, said to me, well, he didn't need French horn players, he needed trumpet players. So I went out, I bought a trumpet, and learned to play the trumpet, a little different than French horn. And uh, in 1915, 1978, there we were, a hundred, over a hundred strong, turning, turning the corner from uh, from Spear Street on to Market Play in California, here we come. Mm. 
Seventy-eight was uh, was also the year that Harvey Milk was assassinated. I, I, yeah. I wonder, you know, how that impacted your role with the Gay Lesbian Freedom Band, and also you as an individual as a lesbian. Well, it was devastating. It was just devastating. Um, I hadn't uh, been here long uh, from Hawaii. I'd only been back maybe eight or ten months, so I was, um, you know, still forming a circle of of my own community, um, and it was uh, it was just unbelievable to me growing up, you know, the small town of Pennsylvania that somebody could just go and shoot the mayor and uh, you know and shoot the icon um, of the Ellen, of the lesbian and gay movement. Um, yes, the band uh, the band in the gay men's chorus and. Um, I was also the conductor of the San Francisco Lesbian Chorus, which was started under that umbrella. Um, you know, it was all very, very sorrowful. So yeah, yeah, uh, I, I can only imagine. I would be so so afraid. Uh, unfortunately, we're running up against time. See, I, this is what happens. I get sucked into these <laughs> interviews, and I just want to sit I'm here. Just getting, that, yeah, that was just the beginning of my activism. Yeah. Uh, Four well, two more years to go. Well, I don't, we're going to have to ask you to come back. You're going to have to be a best friend of this program because uh, <laughs> I just could listen to your stories all day long. Um, yeah, before we let you go, though, I do want to ask, I mean, you know, you're, you're here now in San Francisco and have seen and experienced so much and so much has changed. You know, what do you want the new emerging people who are, who are coming here to San Francisco, who are living here, who are working here, what do you want them to know, and especially, you know, as your perspective uh, as an LGBTQI senior? I think it's important for uh, new people uh, to know, to find out uh, what it was like for, for when I came to California, because a lot of me and the LGBT people my age took the time to to learn about what happened in the 50s and 60s in San Francisco. Um, you know, you just, you can, most any bar you walk into now in San Francisco, you know, you can hold hands and kiss and do pretty much whatever you want. Of course, that that wasn't possible. So um, I, don't, I, I don't want new people coming out to California or just coming out in general not to take everything for granted. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, blood and tears shed uh, through the years for the movement, um, and in, including, you know, our our dear friends who who have died of AIDS. So it's uh, it's I'm I'm glad it's much uh, I'm glad it's much freer now. And being on the board of uh, NCLR and Open House, um, you know, I'm still aware that there's so much discrimination happening across the country. Just because marriage um, was passed doesn't mean that women still aren't losing their kids, uh, you know, to uh, to a husband who's looking for revenge. And um, uh, there's just all kinds of things that are happening. Elders are being abused, whether they're gay or straight. There's just so many things that everybody can get behind uh, to make the community better. It's, mm-hmm. uh, we're all humans. It's all about human dignity. 
Sonny, thank you so much again. Happy holidays, and please stay uh, best friends with us here on the program and come back okay, anytime. Call me anytime. <laughs> All right, we have your number. Right, you right, may not want me to. <laughs> Take care of yourself. We'll talk soon. All right, you too. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. As mentioned, it is a partnership with Open House, a nonprofit organization that provides resources to the LGBTQI community. So please consider making a tax deductible or a, a donation right now by visiting openhouse-sf.org. Happy holidays. We'll continue our program tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.